And open your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. Revelation 14, verse 6. As we continue our series, Strength for Today, Hope for Tomorrow, from the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. And this is the Word of God. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever And they have no rest, day or night. These worshipers of the beast and of its image, whoever receives the mark of its name. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. And join me, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, these are challenging words, and these are sobering words. And we need the help of your Holy Spirit this morning, Father, to grasp what it is you're saying to us, words that are certain and true. So, Father, take your word now and by your spirit apply it to the way we think. Father, the convictions we hold, the actions we take, the words we speak, that they all might bring glory to you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Last year, Jay Leno launched a new TV game show, You Bet Your Life. Except for some of you will recognize that's not such a new game show. Uh, It was, in fact, a remake of the one that started back in the 1940s with the legendary Groucho Marx. Uh, Later also got in that new broadcast medium called Television. Uh, For its first eight years, it was one of the top ten shows. And the prizes were typically in the astronomical amount of around $100. Uh, At one point, they raised into $101. Though if you won several weeks in a row, you could win more money than that. Uh, and quite frankly, you could bet your life, and losing on that show carried no long-term consequences. Now today, there are people willing to play a risky game called You Bet Your Life, but the prize that's on the line is worth far more than $100, and the consequences are far greater. In fact, they're eternal. Yet every day we have billions of people around the world betting their lives on something other than faith in Jesus Christ to gain eternal life. And so after seeing a scene in heaven in the first five verses of this chapter, we come now back to earth and with angels talking about the future. 
And if we listen carefully, we're going to hear a unified message. What the world's betting on right now, friends, it's a losing bet. It's worse than the bets people made this week trying to win a $1.6 billion lottery. Your odds were $292 million to one. Uh, so, what are you betting your life on? Let's go to the text and see. We'll hear from the first angel. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. The angels flying right over John's head and literally um, speaking to those who, our, our translation says, dwell on earth. The literal translation of that would be sit on earth. And Hendrickson makes the point that these are people just sitting. They're at ease. They're unconcerned. And they're indifferent about the coming judgment. Just as Jesus said people would be when he compared the future generations to those in Noah's day who could care less that Noah was building an ark. Totally indifferent towards God. And yet this angel in one sense comes with good news. He has the eternal gospel in his mouth. Now what's the eternal gospel? What's the good news of what Christ has accomplished through his life and his death and his resurrection? It's in fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham that said for all people, to everybody on the earth. And the demand the angel makes is, is based on the gospel offer. Fear God and give him glory. Worship him. Friends, this is the language of repentance. In fact, last week, Ben referred to the story of Achan. Uh, and, and that's precisely what Moses said when he confronted Achan. He said, Achan, he said, give God glory. Confess your sin. See, confessing our sin means we say to God, God, you're right in your judgment about me. I'm wrong about myself. And in doing that, we turn from our sin and we turn in faith to Christ as our Savior. And friends, this is the eternal gospel the world needs to hear. To say it's eternal means it's the gospel that's the true story for every generation. It's the same consistent message for all of time. And it comes with urgency. So he's crying out with a loud voice. Judgment has come. The game clock is ticking down, so to speak. And everyone's about to face judgment. Now given what Jesus did for us at the cross, the only logical response to that is to give God glory. Acknowledge He's right. Turn from our sin and, and place our trust in Christ. Uh, and, and ordinarily when we share the gospel, we say to people, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. But this angel's message reminds us of something else to share. And that's the gospel's judgment warning. Since judgment is certain, the death and resurrection of Christ are necessary for sinners to know God. In Paul's word from 2 Corinthians, to be reconciled to God. Um, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just one possible option when it comes to eternity. It is the 
only option. Uh, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So believing the eternal gospel is required if we're going to be those who worship God and give Him glory. And notice His credentials. He's the Creator. The four divisions here, heaven and earth, the sea, the springs of water. These were all specific targets of judgment when the seven trumpets sounded. And likewise, there'll be specific targets when the bowls of wrath are poured out in the coming chapters. And the prime sin of the nations is the refusal to worship God, denying God as creator. And we need to understand that that's the precise rebellion that we see in the world today. Historically, all ancient cultures had their own creation stories, their own gods of how the world came to be. Modern day, uh, the undermining of God as creator began in the 19th century with the work of Charles Darwin and others. Make no mistake, the driving force behind the so-called theory of evolution is a denial of the creator God. It's been 163 years since the publication of uh, The Origin of Species. And we live in a world that no longer believes that God is a creator and that we're responsible to God. But rather, they believe there is no God at all. And we can create our own identities and our own values. We live in a world where the elitist, like the Disney Corporation, now refuse to use the terms boys and girls anymore. And if we question such language choices, we're called the ones that are hate-filled. What we have today is what Peter Jones calls the abolition of the binary. You say, now what is that? Uh, well, following Jones here, he reminds us that our world is based on the binary. All right. For instance, there is God, one, and there is a, a created world, a created universe that is distinct from God, two. All right. In other words, there's God and there's everything else. That's why we call God holy. He's not like us. He's totally different from us. Uh, there are human beings made in the image of God. That's one. There are all the other creatures not made in the image of God. That's two. There's male, one, and female, two. There's body, one, there's soul, two. As Christians, we believe in the binary. Now, on the other hand, the prevailing secular view, which is what most Eastern religions produce and teach, is oneism. That is, everything is one. There's no distinction between us and God. There's no distinction between us and the animals. There's no distinction between us and our surroundings, that the goal in Eastern mysticism is to, is to become one with your surroundings. That's what they teach. And in turn, there's no distinction between male and female. All is one. And the reason they're seeking to get rid of the distinction between male and female is ultimately to get rid of the distinction between God and us. And in turn, we become our own gods. 
Melanie Phillips, who is Jewish, is a, a British journalist. She's a columnist uh, published in the Times of London and elsewhere. And here's what she warns us. She says, the attack on Western civilization at its most profound level is an attack on the creed that lies at the foundation of every civilization. Now, what creed would a Jewish woman be talking about uh, that she says is being attacked by everybody? Get this. She says, that creed that the world says must be eliminated is that first line of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Friends, we often just say that line as an afterthought when we recite the Apostles' Creed. We may see it as a preliminary before we get to the really important stuff about the person and the work of Jesus Christ, His saving work for us. But friends, it is absolutely foundational to what we believe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is the creator. God is the king. And God is the ruler. And because of that, we're to worship Him. That's what we're made for. And those who do not worship Him are not only denying His glory and His love, but they're denying their own humanity. They're denying being made in the image of God. And they're claiming that they themselves are God. Melanie Phillips is absolutely correct. It's critical that we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, make out of heaven and earth. And that we mean what we say. Next is angel number two. Another angel, a second, followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. There John combines two Old Testament pronouncements about the fall of Babylon that Isaiah and Daniel make. With Jeremiah's reference to God using Babylon to make the nations drunk. You know, when Cain killed Abel, uh, God made him a wanderer on the face of the earth. But Cain sought to defy God as a wanderer. And so he built a city. And he named the city after himself to make much of himself in defiance against God. And so it is from that that the city of man emerges in the Bible. It's represented in the Old Testament most by, by Babylon. By Rome in the New Testament. And while much good can take place in the city, and we're to seek the welfare of whatever city we live in, uh, pride and sin ultimately win the day. And so this is not just a, a reference to historical Babylon as a city. This is Babylon as it represents all the cities of the world. A city that would attempt to build their own stairway to heaven and thus eliminate their need for God. So Babylon symbolizes a sinful defiant human civilization. So they represent the center of worship, false worship. And there's the emphasis on the sin of sexual immorality. In fact, idolatry is spiritual sexual immorality. It's going after other gods. It's also the most notorious sin in Rome, as John writes, a city that broke all of God's guidelines when it comes uh, to sexuality. Sexual morality is a stand-in. For all self-seeking, me-first thinking. Because sexual morality is always, always about self-seeking. It's always about selfishness 
It's always about putting myself above anybody else and God. And today's sexual rebellion is the great rebellion against God precisely because of what we said a few moments ago. It's right against God, a God who's, who, who has the right as king to make the rules under which we flourish the best as human beings as male and female. All the sexual guidelines in Scripture, they all place the sexual relationship within the bonds of marriage between a man and a woman. And that's the only way for our good and our happiness. Today's rebellion against the very concept of male and female is rebellion against the binary. It's a rebellion that says, I'm God, I can do whatever I want. And one writer put it this way, he said, All sin is worthy, equally worthy of condemnation, but few sins are as equally heinous to God's purposes for His people. We're going to see more about the fall of Babylon in just a couple of chapters. But this short summary here does raise questions. It says, Babylon has fallen. That does that because of the certainty that Babylon will fall. And you look around today and know that the city of man's not fallen completely yet. Human culture's rebellion against God continues. Still drinking Babylon's wine of passion. But friends, all who drink that wine will face judgment. Because listen to angel three. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Can you remember that in order to buy and sell, to participate in the marketplace, that the beast gave out marks, some sort of mark, so that you could participate in that? It meant that you worshiped the beast. Uh, the hope was if you did that, you escaped suffering under Satan. But what's going to happen to those who align themselves with the beast? The description is what happens is for all who reject God and follow Satan. And it's horrible beyond measure. I mean, you can see John groping for words to say how bad the torment will be for all those who bet their lives on the beast and not bowing their knee before Jesus Christ. This worship of the beast, of Satan himself, will be shown for what it is in contrast to the worship of God. To worship the beast means that in the end, one will drink the wine of God's wrath, pour full strength into the cup of his anger. And friends, even as there is an eternal gospel, there is an eternal torment. And that torment will be forever and ever. A burning with no relief. And notice that description, no rest. I wonder, students, you went to the retreat last weekend. Did you come home tired? All right. Did you come home wanting to sleep? And what if your parents said, no, 
You have to stay awake this afternoon. And no, you don't get to go to bed tonight. And no, you don't ever get to go to bed again. Uh, Every time your eyes start to close, you would feel a fire burning. There would be no rest. And here described for us, there are shrieks each time we feel the darkness. Dennis Johnson's term for what we read here is relentless restlessness. Let me tell you, uh, I don't like to try and scare people into the kingdom of God. My desire is that people fall in love with Jesus and His love and His grace and His mercy and His beauty. But i got to tell you, if I was not a believer today, these verses would scare me to death. Smoke burning the eyes constantly, exhausted and unable to go to sleep. Friends, that's what it is to drink full strength, the cup of His anger. But I can tell you something, at the cross... That's what Jesus did for us. He drank the cup of God's wrath on our behalf. He took the punishment that you and I deserved. He died in our place. He took the sting of death for us. And you see, our sin is punished. All sin is punished. It's about who receives the punishment. And either we receive it, Or Jesus receives it in our place. Friends, that's the binary. Those are the only two options before us. And note something else. This eternal torment is in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. Make no mistake, eternal torment is not at the hand of Satan. He's going to be tormented eternally as well. Torment is from the conquering lamb. And you see, what's the worst thing about hell? What ultimately makes it unbearable is the presence of the lamb. R.C. Sproul said, We need to realize that those who are in hell desire nothing more than the absence of God. They did not want to be in God's presence during their lives. And they certainly don't want to be near him to be near when they're in hell. The worst thing about hell is the presence of God there. You know, our presence in the holiness of Jesus is the basis of our eternal joy. But for those who will be eternally in hell, That same holiness of Jesus will produce eternal pain and grief and sorrow. It will be an eternal reminder of why they are in hell. And it's because they rejected the infinite love of God. Let's be clear when we sin. We sin against a God who is infinitely holy. And that's why His judgment, His justice... Demands infinite punishment. God's wrath towards sin will never end. See, hell is not separation from God. 
It's separation from God's comforting presence that we will enjoy. The wicked will not be separated from God's presence forever. Friends, that's, that's, that, that's, that's the urgency of the warning that God gives us. That's why until Jesus returns, we should be praying for sinners to repent. Even the worst of sinners. We should have an urgency to share the gospel. Uh, not only with our loved ones, but with our enemies. You see, once judgment day begins... And he says it soon. It will be too late. Too late. So what about us? You know, once again, the text plainly states the application for us. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. So first, it's a call for us to endure. We've been told time and again in the last several chapters that the church of Jesus Christ will suffer in this world because of persecution, because the world has taken out its anger and its frustration against God on His people. And because Satan cannot touch Jesus, he's pursuing Jesus' church. Indeed, we've seen the economic penalties for not being marked by the beast. Already, the readers in John's day were suffering from that. Already, those in communist countries and Muslim countries are suffering from that. Already, a few people here are. Uh, make no mistake, we as the church can anticipate persecution. Uh, it's the norm. But we endure because we know, we see here, one day it ends. Judgment comes. So we keep our faith strong in Jesus and we continue to do His commands. We continue to live according to God's Word. But second, while we still die, and when we die, there's a blessing in our deaths. We die in the Lord. And that's a blessing because it brings rest and reward. Instead of eternal torment, Instead of relentless restlessness, we enter into everlasting rest and joy. What an eternal contrast. Relentless restlessness versus eternal rest. And we hear the Spirit speaking His messages that we've rested from our earthly labors. And yet our works follow us. Indeed, already we rest on Jesus and His work on the cross. Here and now. And we'll rest on that for eternity. Take our deeds following us two ways. One is the lasting impact of our lives here on earth. How we live does impact others after we're gone. But the other is our impact on eternity. We'll be rewarded in eternity for what we've done here. Now this isn't about salvation. That's God's free gift to us. This is about the rewards we receive that are the trophies that we place at Jesus' feet. So how do we keep at this? The Heidelberg Catechism asks this question. It's number 58. What comfort do we have from the article of life everlasting? And here it is. 
that in as much as I now feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess complete bliss, such as I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man, therein to praise God forever. It's that comfort that gives us strength for today. It's that comfort that gives us hope for tomorrow. Let me plainly ask, do you have that comfort? What are you betting your life on? Do you have the certainty that if you were to die today, you would enter into the eternal, loving presence of God? And if you do not, please do not leave here this morning without talking to me or, or someone else that you know knows about the gospel. Please, do not bet your life, your eternity, on the Bible being wrong. Because it is not. Believers in Jesus Christ, this must give us an urgency to share the gospel with others. It should give an urgency to do our Christmas celebration this year. Seven weeks from today, we'll be standing here celebrating the Incarnation. But friends, we've got to commit ourselves to sharing the eternal gospel now. Eternity hangs in the balance for billions of people. Then one more warning. I want you to be aware is we're going to sing the closing hymn. And if you choose to sing, and I hope you do, you're taking a very radical stand. We're going to sing these words. You're the author of creation. You're the Lord of every man. And your cry of love rings out across the lands. Uh, and friends, in our world today, that's absolutely radical. But friends, that's the gospel. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. May our cry of love ring out across the world. Let's pray. Father, may your spirit work in us to cause your word to sink in deeply. Father, to grow our, our faith in you, our joy in you, to know that we rest in Christ and we have an eternal rest. Father, likewise, may it give us an urgency to share the gospel. Father, share the hope that's ours in Jesus Christ with a world that desperately needs to hear it. Father, is anybody here that doesn't yet know for certain of their trust in Christ? Lord, today, today, show them your Son, Lord. Draw them to yourself, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.